There's a new build of Windows 11, and with it comes a hidden feature. Happy Friday, friends. It has somehow been a longer week, even though it's only been like a four-day work week because we had the holiday on Monday, at least for people here in the U.S., but either way, it was a week packed full of news and we're just going to kick things off here with not star wars but jedi microsoft found out that they are no longer going to be awarded the 10 billion dollar contract from the government for the jedi which is a joint initiative to build out the next generation uh platform for our military or for the u.s military i should say and instead what happened is, is that contract is being canceled and it looks like it's going to go out to a multi-cloud arrangement which candidly probably makes more sense although there's some logistical functionality that makes it easier if you just have one vendor and something goes wrong you can scream at the one vendor and hopefully things get fixed but when you have a multi-cloud setup you could make arguments and well whose fault it really is but either way, uh, we'll be looking more to see how this plays out. And honestly, it kind of just makes somewhat more sense because then you have a, a better fault-tolerant system. In case something happens to one cloud, then there should be a backup cloud. And we will see how this actually plays out. Um, but contracts like this are rare. Well, maybe not rare. Um, but they don't come up too often. And this is a mega contract, which will have a very long horizon for the companies that win. And I think we can both agree it's probably going to be AWS and Microsoft probably getting it split, something like that. But we will see. Either way, Microsoft no longer completely owns the Jedi contract. They aren't out of it, but they technically haven't won it. And we're kind of right back to where we started. And so be on the lookout for more about that. Uh, on the scary side of things, and yes, we're talking about printers because printers are always scary. Uh, the print nightmare con saga continues to go on. So here's what happened. There was a zero-day vulnerability using the print spooler service within Windows, and it was easily attacked and known to be exploited out in the wild. And so there's a couple different ways you can turn it off. The most easiest way is just to turn off the print spooler service. But if you're managing thousands of users across different regions, it's a, kind of a pain in the butt. So Microsoft released a patch, and this patch addressed the print spooler vulnerability or did it or did it not uh, well it, there's a bit of confusion because initially it came out that says looks like this patch didn't actually address the issue but there's another step to the patch you have to apply the patch and then you have to update a registry key if you have it enabled and so that that uh, registry key is the print Point and print D word. Now, if that doesn't make sense, don't worry. I'm going to write up a post about this and you'll find that link down in the description. But you need to put that to zero. So you need to install the patch and also change this D word value from, I believe, one to zero. And then your system will be properly patched. It was a little confusing because not everyone saw that actual additional step that needed to be taken to mitigate the print nightmare vulnerability. But that is what needs to be done. You need to install the patch and change that registry keyword because if you don't, then you're still going to be vulnerable. So it's a two-step process. Uh, Microsoft has also released an update to Office, and now we knew this was coming. Microsoft is refreshing the UI of Office, and they're updating primarily, at least as of right now, the ribbon. They're giving it softer, rounded edges that match Windows 11, and so that is rolling out now to insiders. It's honestly not a very big change. It's just, it's very subtle. It looks like they took the existing app, just chopped off like 45, well, not quite 45 degree angles on the corners of the ribbon, and then just shipped it, but honestly, it makes a pretty big difference uh, when you look at it compared to Windows 11 and so that is rolling out to insiders and I eventually will come out I, I bet with an office 2022 perpetual release maybe milestone or moniker something along those lines 
Next week, Microsoft is hosting their Inspire conference. Now, this is a Microsoft, like a managed service provider type conference. This is a, it's a partner conference, partner focus conference, right at the beginning of the fiscal year. And this is a really important conference for a lot of people, myself included, because Microsoft is going to come out and tell these partners effectively what their initiatives are for the year ahead and how Microsoft is going to start approaching the market for the fiscal year ahead to try to, again, increase the revenue and keep, and keep sales going. So if you want to understand typically where Microsoft is headed, Inspire is a great way to look at the tea leaves about what is coming down the pipeline. One of the things we expect to see next week is a new cloud PC offering. Now this looks like a virtual desktop style service where you can effectively turn any laptop into a thin client where the user can then go in, log in, and then have a desktop and apps that are curated by the administrator and have an instance that is safe, secure, and run in the cloud. So your data is just always available, especially if you're using Microsoft 365. Microsoft has had similar services, but they've charged for it in different ways. And this one looks like it's gonna be a per user fee instead of a usage fee. There's a big difference there so we'll likely hear more about that i keep hearing whispers about microsoft launching some sort of marketplace by the way and we will see if that comes out next week as well as always when we hear the news i will I'll try to keep you guys updated to the best of my ability that but that is microsoft inspire next week that is a virtual conference microsoft has yet to announce its first in-person post-pandemic conference I don't think there's going to be, I don't think there's going to be any large ones, at least over the summer. Maybe in the fall, we'll start to see some things, um, but more than likely not until next year. Hopefully, knock on wood, that things start to basically return back to pre-pandemic stuff. Also, there was a new build of Windows 11 out this week. There's a couple really, really interesting things about it. There's some minor visual updates. Uh, more specifically, in the Start menu now, there is a search bar at the top of the Start menu, which is good, although the it's functionality is a little awkward because when you start typing it actually opens up what was kind of like the windows 10 style ish if you've used it, you know what i mean um search experience it's not exactly in the same window the window actually expands it's a little bit of a jarring experience hopefully they, they tighten that up and make it not so like you're jumping between two two worlds when you start searching but it is there and so that is just one update and hopefully in the next uh, couple updates here that will get just polished up and uh that won't be the big of a deal that's not really the big hidden feature though so Microsoft released this update, and unlike, I think, every single update in the Insider program, this wasn't a new, it was a new build per se, but it wasn't a new build of Windows, and you'll see what I mean here in a second. So I believe Windows 11 has already reached RTM, or they have finalized it, and it's going to be build number uh, 22,000, just a nice flat round number. What was different about this is that Microsoft released the update as a cumulative update. Now, what it looks like Microsoft is able to do because they have decoupled a lot of things like the shell, at least it appears, the shell of the uh, of Windows of Windows 10 I was in, of Windows 11 from the underlying OS, they can now update the shell without touching the underlying bits, which means that they should be able to update things faster at least on paper. And that is what we were seeing now is that the update that came down that, that enabled the search experience is actually just a cumulative update. It's not touching the underlying OS. It also installed very quickly, about five minutes or so. And so this is a really big deal because this is how we believe Microsoft is going to start servicing Windows going forward for a lot of different things. Remember, Microsoft has already said they're only gonna update the OS, uh, the underlying OS, we should say, 
once per year, but these cumulative updates can now be pretty substantial in what they can change without basically enabling any sort of uh, incompatibility issues because it's decoupled from the underlying experience. This is this is going to change things for Microsoft in a very positive direction, and that's why we saw a lot of these pipeline tests uh, prior to the release of Windows 11. Now they're just cumulative updates. That's what I believe we are going to see here on out for the remainder of the Insider program until it releases, which brings up another interesting point is that the Insider program, it, it certainly has its value in the way that Microsoft is doing this, but because it's just a cumulative update, realistically means like moving it between rings doesn't really matter. It's just, you know, checking the box about who's getting, who's going to test it because the, again, the underlying OS is not changing. It's just staying at the same RTM of 22,000. So it's just something to pay attention to. This is like really deep in the weeds type stuff, but it's also super fascinating to see how Microsoft has updated the servicing capabilities of Windows basically throughout the Windows 10 lifecycle to now get to the point where they can just ship cumulative updates that make pretty substantial changes on the top level, which is where a lot of consumers hang out, obviously, and they can change things on the fly much faster and much easier going forward. Basically, what I'm saying here is I'm expecting more visual changes to come more rapidly because it's not such a substantial overhaul to the OS. Uh, at least that is how Microsoft is providing it or, or showing it off, which is a pretty big deal. Uh, moving on to the Xbox, a uh, little bit of Xbox news out this week. If you are an alpha user on the insider program of the Xbox, you are now getting access to the new Chromium-based Edge that is now shipping uh, for all of us still who are not. We're still using the old, now technically unsupported version of Edge, but either way, it looks like we will be getting the new version of Edge for everybody here in the very near future. There was also an interesting update. Now, Dark Souls 3 got FPS boost enabled. That is that is an, a, a notable update in itself. But uh, Jason, uh, Jason Ronald, if you don't recognize the name, but most people refer to myself included as Xbox Beard, uh, the wizard guy, uh, he alluded to but would not clarify that Microsoft had to use a new method to actually enable this FPS boost. This wasn't their usual formula of whatever their old, not old, you know, quote unquote, old technology and just dropping it onto a game to get that boost. They actually had to do some different work. And I, I asked for an explanation about what they actually had to change because I'd love to understand the technical aspects of it. But apparently this wasn't just a drop our F, old FPS boost technology on top of Dark Souls and then it worked. Um, I'm assuming that they had to come up with a new model because they died so many times playing the game or just got scared and said, hey, we can't play this and update it. Um, so we just need to do it. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, I was trying to make a terrible joke there. Uh, but either way, I'd be very curious to understand what is actually happening here to make this possible. And if this methodology that they used for Dark Souls is going to be potentially usable on other games. I, I can't... I shouldn't say I can't imagine Microsoft would do all this much work for one specific title, but I suspect that they saw a path to potentially enabling more titles using this technology, and Dark Souls 3 may have been the primer or the pilot for it. And so I'm curious to see if we'll all of a sudden get a whole bunch of more games getting this, this boost technology uh, applied to it. So... Um, also, other big things this week, Nintendo unveiled their OLED Switch. I think a lot of people were waiting for the Switch Pro, mostly because that's what kind of rumors had pointed to. At the same time, people were disappointed when they saw that it was just uh, basically an OLED screen and an, an Ethernet port added, added to the Switch. Um, it's really, you guys got to understand that Nintendo has a rich heritage of taking really average parts off the parts bin shelf, putting really good games and titles on top of it and experiences, and selling a 
buttload of hardware. And that is exactly what they have done again. They took a product that is selling exceptionally well. They made it just a little bit better. And now they're going to sell a buttload of them um, to people who want to have a slightly larger display and a better display. I mean, OLED screens are pretty darn good at color reproduction and saturation and vibrancy. One thing they do typically miss, which I didn't see in the spec sheet, is brightness on OLED displays can be a little bit less than a typical LCD. So we will have to see and wait for reviews to come out of that. And as always, folks, there is a bunch, well, I should say a handful of questions in this week. And as always, it's the favorite part of my week. So let's just dive in here. So we have the first question comes from Wes. I hope you're having a fantastic Friday. I hope you are too, Wes. Uh, I know your mobile environment is iOS, but I'm curious what Android apps you are thinking about testing once the option and store becomes available on Windows. This is a great question because a lot of people, myself included, it's like, oh, great, we got Android apps. Now, granted, it is the Amazon app um, that is coming or Amazon Android store that is coming to Windows, at least as of right now. What apps am I looking for? A lot of them are going to be sort of mobile specific podcast apps on Windows 10 are not or Windows are not great in general. So that is one definite area that I will be looking for. I made a joke on Twitter yesterday that if you accidentally click on a a podcast in Spotify, that's all Spotify. Spotify will serve up to you. And I, I don't like using Spotify for podcast. I wish I could just completely remove it. Um, using third-party apps typically works better in my experience. And so that is probably one of the first places I will check out and just kind of see what else meanders my way. Um, realistically, I think the experience on Windows is going to be the underlying driver of the adoption of the apps. Like if it's actually a pretty good experience using a mouse and keyboard and Microsoft is done a pretty good job with the Windows or Android subsystem for Windows, a um, little bit of a mouth tongue twister there, then maybe it'll unlock more experiences or more apps that people are going to want to use. But right now, it, there's just a lot of unknowns. We don't know how well it's going to run for that matter either. So uh, it'll be, be curious. Uh, Shark47 says, do you think we will see the Surface Pro X2 this year? Uh, and if so, what are your expectations? Surface Pro X2? Well, there is, oh, I guess... Okay, so I guess you, I think you're referring to the Surface Pro X, like a second generation. Technically, we have a second generation because there's that, like the Platinum version. I can't, it's got the second generation SQ2 chip in it. The Microsoft didn't really change anything else. I'm not sure if we are going to see a Surface Pro like next gen. I, if anything, I think we might see just a chip bump like we've seen with previous updates. I'm not quite sure what they would change yet. Obviously, performance updates and improvements are going to be good. But the reason why I hesitate just a little bit is that we are no, we, I'm pretty sure we're going to get a new redesigned Surface Pro in the fall uh, that's going to finally introduce the new design language that they've been sitting on for a while. Pretty sure we're also going to get a Surface Laptop Pro or something like that, a Surface Book refresh sort of experience. And so Microsoft typically doesn't like to overhaul everything at once because they got to save some stuff for the intermittent years. And so that's why I kind of hesitate um, a little bit to think that we might get it other than just a potential chip update. B. Schnatt says, other than the Sam's report and first ring daily, what in the world do you actually do every day besides bother Paul? Uh, other source of income can you tell me without having to share 
shoot me afterwards. Uh, so like, I, <laughs> it's a great question, I guess. A lot of people just see what I do on like on the YouTubes and a, a little bit of writing. So I, my daily job is I manage all of Petri and a lot of Thorat, not, not Paul Thorat, but like the, the site, uh, things that are going on from writer experiences to everything else. So on the Petri site, for example, we have like two dozen contributors and it's my job to make sure that content is always flowing into our editorial workflow to make sure that posts keep getting published. So I run the, and I, I'm an executive editor, so I manage the entire editorial process for the BWW Media Group, which includes Petri.com and Throt.com. And so it is my job to make sure, that primarily more on the Petri side, Paul is pretty, runs on his own. Um, on the Throt side, but especially on the Petri side, making sure content is uh, getting posted, make sure we have technical content, making sure that we have Microsoft MVPs contributing and doing all that stuff. And that's just one facet of it. We also do virtual conferences, which I am holistically uh, responsible for, which includes um, you know coming up with topics, getting speakers and presenters, and making sure all that stuff happens. If you if you work with uh, if you've ever emailed the help desk, I manage that process as well. And so I also keep a very 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 close eye on SEO and reporting capabilities for the sites. And so effectively, I, and I write a ton. I write multiple posts, um, sometimes per day, but, uh, you know, five, six to like, oh, geez, the week Windows 11 launch, I think it's like 20 posts in a week. So a lot of content generation, but then also a lot of management of content for the properties is what I do. And then I'm also pretty heavily involved in the sales process. While I'm not doing sales per se, um, we get clients to come and say, hey, look, we're looking for X, Y, and Z. How should we position it? Because I have a really good knowledge of Microsoft 365 and all of the, the tools, apps, and experiences. And I'm also very well connected within the Microsoft MVP community so I can help source uh, contributors and content and all that stuff. So um, a little bit of marketing, a little bit of management, and a little bit of um, everything else. And so that keeps me busy a lot. Also because, hey, I can't predict when Microsoft's gonna make news. Um, and so you're on the clock a lot for that stuff when if you see like something pop up on Twitter or whatever, like. You know, being early into that stuff is of significant benefits in terms of traffic and just keeping longevity of readers coming back to the site and checking back often. And so if something happens, either A, I write it or I can, Paul writes it, or if it's a technical piece, I can, I can farm it out to one of our contributors and making sure that, again, content is flowing uh, is sort of you know, what I do on a daily basis at a very, very high level. Uh, Stephen Layton says, uh, have you watched any of the Euro 2020 football over the last few weeks? How do you think or who do you think will win the final on Sunday, Italy or England? So I have been watching it. Um, I'm, I do watch football quite a bit. I actually played soccer, as we call it here in the U.S., for like 16, 18 years. Um, played quite a bit. So I do watch. I do watch it quite a bit. Now, maybe not as much as other people do. Um, but Italy versus England, I think, is going to be a great match. I think the England match was a little controversial um, that we just saw. But either way, so Italy versus England... <laughs> I'm going to make some people angry. I honestly hope Italy wins just because half my Twitter feed is full of English fans. And so I don't want to see, is it coming home again? Um, blasted all over uh, all over Twitter because every time I sing, is it coming home or, or whatever the phrase is, I always think maybe you should take some of the things out of your British museums and and send them home instead of bringing your, anyways, uh, that's, that was a joke that was floating around on Twitter. I will not take responsibility for that. Uh, but either way, I think, uh, I my gut kind of says, I think England is going to win. But, like, my soul says, I hope Italy is able to uh, kind of pull this out. So we will see. And rounding out the question for the week, Mr. 
PKI. It says, let's change it up for the last question of the week. Do you think Windows, do you think the Windows 11 interface and the requirements for next gen processor TPM 2.0 are tied more to a Windows server platform versus the consumer low end platform? Interesting question because a lot of the core technologies coming from Windows 11, whatever you want to call it, are also in Windows Server. And so are they tired? I personally don't think so. I, the reason why I'm hesitating is that I'm looking, thinking about Skylake and some of those uh, Intel level attacks that were happening with the, le the, I believe it was memory leakage management that Microsoft had to deal with. And that on the server side, I think is definitely potentially related. But I don't think Microsoft is going to... It's a it's a weird area to say the consumer is okay to be exposed, but not your servers are okay to be exposed. I don't per, I still don't personally think that they are. Uh, there's some funkiness that Microsoft has yet to explain because per this a TPM 2.0 like a seventh gen processor from Intel supports TPM 2.0. That that's like not even a question anymore. We all know that that exists. The question is why is Microsoft drawing a line in the sand saying 2.2.0 when there are chips that have 2.0 that don't support uh, are technically as of Microsoft's original posting don't support Windows 11. That is the really weird finicky question. And the only thing we can think of at least right now is maybe it's related to their Pluton uh, Pluton I think is their initiative for the securing the processor also related to remember again those Skylake um, issues that Microsoft had not necessarily with the OS but the the vulnerabilities um, it, that they end up having a patch that lowered performance. So Microsoft has again not been very transparent about what the actual requirement is and I don't think they want to come out and throw Intel under the bus, but at some point Microsoft's going to have to because Microsoft has taken a lot on the chin for Intel over the years. And if this is yet another example, then it's really hurting Microsoft here and getting and cloudying up uh, their Windows 11 announcement and experiences. And so we are just in here twiddling our thumbs, waiting to see if this box that is a 7700K with two TPM 2.0 is capable of running Windows 11. Let me let me rephrase that. We know that it's capable of running it. Will Microsoft allow it to run Windows 11? Is a totally different question so there you go guys that wraps up for this week's shorter podcast because it was a shorter week but as always make sure to keep it subscribed here because the only bs on this podcast is me